right. Well, if you were here with us last week, or maybe you were able to catch us online, you know that we started a brand new series, which is titled Knowing God. Okay, this is the series that we're going to be in for the next eight weeks. And so last week, really what we tried to do is kind of lay out this firm foundation for us to to build upon over the next eight weeks um, so that we can get to know him and truly draw closer to him in the way that he desires, okay? So last week, we talked about some high-level principles that we need to be aware of so that we can filter this information the right way and truly be given to it. Uh, We talked about how essential This is that we would know our God, like ultimately this is the highest priority of our lives and so we need to be given to this with everything in us. But there are two things we talked about last week that I just wanna remind you of real quick before we get into today's content because I think this is gonna be really helpful for us. And the first thing is, and we're probably just gonna continue to lay this out as we move forward. The first thing is our objective throughout this series. So so at the end of these eight weeks, what do we want to have accomplished? What do we want to have achieved? And so our objective is that we would truly get to know God. And when I say that, I mean have a, a genuine relationship with God, personal, intimate relationship with him so that we can properly serve and worship him. We talked about how ultimately it's about him. We want to worship and serve him with the best of our ability. And in order to do that, it's time that we get to know him like never before. And so that is our objective over the course of these eight weeks and well beyond. And so what we're going to do, how we're going to kind of roll this out is uh, starting today, we're going to begin to dig into some specifics around what makes God who he is. Okay, we're going to talk about some of his attributes and some of his traits that hopefully enlighten his character before us, um, ultimately so that we can get to know him in a a real but also truth-driven way. Okay, that's what we want to do. And uh, honestly, we're starting today with a pretty a pretty big topic. We're going to climb, I think, a pretty high mountain today. And so the second thing that I want to remind you of that we talked about last week is, listen, while we want to give everything we have to this pursuit, right? I mean, we want to dig in with passion and and with diligence. I just want us to remember that there is a limitation to this process on our end that we have to recognize, We talked about last week how uh, we just have to understand as hard as we may try, we can never fully know or understand God. We're just never going to be able to fully comprehend everything there is to know about him. And so we need to be aware of this. And I think there's one place in particular where we're going to have to be really disciplined with this concept. And that is, listen to me, just because we can't fully know or understand all of who God is, that doesn't mean that we should then compress him down to our little understanding. Okay. In other words, we have to fight against putting the all-powerful creator of the universe into our little box because when we do that, we're obviously greatly distorting the truth of his identity. And very quickly, we will get into some hot water when we do this. In fact, this is how many people end up with false views or incorrect doctrine around God. Because I'm telling you, we all have this magnetic pull within us to look at God or perceive God through our own lens and our own understanding and and our own dimensions. And so we're going to have to be aware of this and ensure that we fight against that. Okay. In fact, I was um, doing some research this week and I saw a title of a book that said, your God is too small. Your God is too small. And that kind of 
let bells ring in my head and really caught my attention. Sure enough, as I was reading this synopsis, it was talking about how our worship and our affection to God is so negatively impacted because of our desire to put him in this little box of ours. Our worship and, and our love for him is so negatively impacted because we so often try to do this rather than letting him be who he is. And so before we even get into today's message, here's what I want us to do collectively. I want us to just agree that we're going to accept two things today. We're just going to lay this before us and say, we're going to accept these things. And the first thing is we're going to just accept our limited comprehension around these topics. Okay. We're going to have to do that. We're not going to fully understand these things. Don't get discouraged. Don't be disappointed by that. Just continue to lean in. Because the second thing that we're going to have to accept is we have to accept everything that scripture tells us. So in other words, though we may not be able to fully understand it, we will allow scripture to speak and then we will believe by faith, especially in those areas that we can't fully comprehend. And if we do this, it's gonna allow us to move forward in an open-minded way, listen, to where we can begin to see God for who he is. Not for who we think he is, not for who we've made him out to be, for who he truly is and get to know him in that personal, intimate way. That's what we wanna do. Okay. Now, again, I think this is going to be especially important for us today because the first step that we're going to take today might just be the biggest step that we're going to take throughout the entirety of this series. Okay, This first step is a huge one, at least from an intellectual standpoint. This is a big leap that we're going to take because the first thing that we have to do as we get to know God is we have to try to understand the core of his identity, the, the core of what makes him who he is. Is, or we might say the essence of God. Okay, that's what we want to talk about is the essence of God. Okay, now um, let me ask a few questions and maybe this will help you kind of center in on exactly what I mean when I say that. Have you ever asked yourself, um, like, what is God made of? Like, like, what is he made up of? If I could see him with my eyes, if I could touch him with my hands, what would he be made of? What is his essence? It's such an interesting question, and interestingly enough, this is not something that you and I typically have to do in our relationships, right? Because we know what we're made of. We're flesh and blood and bones and tissue. We know that and also can see that, which is especially helpful, but this is obviously not true of God. And so what makes him who he is? Is he just like pure energy? Is, is that what God is made of? Does he have any sort of material or matter that we should be aware of? Is he in some sense just pure thought or impression? Like what makes him who he is? This is the first step that we have to take. And to answer this question, we're going to go to the book of John in chapter 4, verse 24. It gives us our answer very clearly. Now, this is Jesus who is speaking, so immediately our ears perk up, right? This is Jesus, and watch how he enlightens us on this subject. Three simple words. He says, God is spirit. God is spirit. You want to know what he's made of? You want to know what his essence is? He is spirit. This is the answer to our question. Now, the immediate follow-up to that might be, well, what exactly is spirit, right? Because maybe we have a general understanding of what that might be. And actually, in some ways, this is one of those things that you and I can share in with him. Like we talked about last week, because scripture shows us that each one of us has a spirit, right? This deep, unseen part of who we are. We can share in that. And yet, even that understanding of the word spirit is just far too limiting as it relates 
relates to God, okay? So again, allowing scripture to guide us here, here's what we can say about the word spirit as it relates to God, okay? Here's the first thing that we can say. This is certainly unlike anything else that we know of in creation, okay? God being spirit, it's unlike anything we know. It's unlike anything we've seen. There's nothing that we can compare it to. That's the first thing we can say. Likewise, we can say that this is far superior to anything that we know or have seen. It's far superior to any of our material existence. As scripture says, it is too high. I cannot attain it, right? I just, I can't comprehend it. He's that great. And so in the end, what we have to say is that this form of existence, God being spirit, is greater than anything that we know. It it is the greatest, most excellent way to be that much we can be sure of. But I do think there are a few attributes of God that do give us a little bit of clarity and understanding into what this essence really is. Okay, so maybe we have this kind of high-level understanding, but what are some of the specifics that we see in Scripture so that we can learn and ultimately so that we can relate to him? Again, that's, that's our hope. We want to relate and, and connect with him, and so that's what we want to try to find through these things. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to go through two different attributes of God that I believe just begin to, to lead us down the road of understanding his true essence and being. Now, again, this is just, it's just getting us started. We're just kind of nudging ourselves along here, but hopefully it gets us moving in the right direction. Okay, so let's go ahead and dig into this. So the first attribute of God that gives us a little bit of insight into to his essence and to him being spirit is the invisible nature of God. Okay, this is the first thing that begins to show us a little bit of what it means when it says that God is spirit. Now, again, this is something that we have a general understanding of. If I say that something is invisible, you immediately connect with what that would mean. But I want to be a little bit more clear here, especially as it relates to the character and being of God. Okay, because God's invisibility means that his total essence Um, All of his spiritual being is unable to be fully seen by you and I, okay? His total essence, all of his spiritual being, we cannot see that, and in this way, he is invisible, okay? Now, let's see how scripture brings this to light, because honestly, it's it's quite clear. So let's go to John chapter 1, starting in verse 18. This is what we read. No one has seen God at any time, okay? This is pretty blunt. It's pretty straightforward. It's hard to twist and turn that, right? No one has seen God at any time. Let's go to 1 John chapter 4, verse 12. Let's see what this has to say. No one has seen God at any time. It's the same exact word, same exact phrase. It's reiterating just how much of a truth this is in Scripture. Okay, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17. It says, Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. So the only God, the one true God is immortal, he's eternal, and he's invisible. And then 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 15, the King of kings and Lord of lords, we know who we're talking about, right? Who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, listen, whom no man has seen or can see whom no man has, has seen or can see. This is an undeniable truth in Scripture. And this is the first aspect, again, that begins to show us a little bit about what Scripture means when it says God is spirit. Okay, This is his invisible nature. No one has ever seen God. And yet, as I'm sure many of you are already thinking and kind of jumping ahead of me, 
we do see in Scripture some outward form or manifestation, which at least in part was able to be seen by the people of God, right? So although God's total essence cannot be seen, we can rightly say that God does show himself through visible things. We, we can see that in Scripture, okay? Now, I want to first talk about why God would design it that way. In other words, you know, if, if he's not going to show us his full nature, why would he even show us a little bit of himself? Why even take that route? And, and honestly, the reason is, is right in line with the objective of this series. It's because he wants to have relationship with us. He wants to have connection with us. And so he knows if we are to think of him, we have to have some way to do that, right? There has to be some avenue that we can take. So what does he do? He gives us these different forms and analogies in scripture to at least give us a glimpse of who he is, right? Just peels back the curtain a little bit so we can begin to see who he is. Why? So we can relate to him, so we can connect, so we can have relationship with him. This is why he does it, okay? So with that being said, let's talk about a few of the ways in Scripture where we see him in visible ways, okay? Where we see him in visible ways. So let's go to the very beginning, and, and I mean the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1. Let's read verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Verse 27, So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. This is what scripture just told us. You and I are created in the very image of God. This is one of the most profound truths that we see in scripture, that you and I are created in his image. This is what's called the Imago Dei, which simply means that humans have this uniqueness that's absent from the rest of creation, where we actually get to mirror the very nature of our God. This is, this is an unbelievable thing. And here's one of the profound effects of this. That means that when you and I look at one another, when you and I gaze upon one another, we are getting a glimpse of the very image of our God. Think about how profound that is. Think about how intense that is that I can look into your eyes and get a little glimpse of my creator. That's unbelievable. And, and think about all the implications of that. Maybe it begins to, to make sense why God's command to love one another is so important. Why, why he tells us to serve and, and to be selfless and to, to love your enemies. Why Jesus says, this is second only to loving me. It's because we are all made in his image. We all have this inherent value and worth that is beyond anything else in creation. And this is one of the ways we get a glimpse of God's beautiful identity as we look upon one another. Such a cool concept and something that we should always ponder, always ponder. Let's continue on. Here's another way that we see this come to light in Scripture. Let's go to Romans chapter 1, verse 20. It says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. How? Being understood through what has been made. So here's what scripture is telling us. We can get a look of all of God's creation. Like, like look around. We can see the, the moon and the stars and the mountains and the hills and the plains. We can look upon these things and actually get some visible understanding of who God is. We can begin to see his, his divinity and, and his power and, and his grace. This is all made known to us through his beautiful creation. Now think about if we were aware of that. Think about how profound an impact that could have on us as we're driving down the road, as, as we're walking through the park, just being able to connect with God through the creation that he's built. This is why some people do connect with God best through nature, 
Because they look at this beautiful magnitude of his creation and and they see their God within it and, and through it they connect and have relationship. And again, this is why God has designed it this way. He wants to connect. He wants to have relationship with us. So he shows us himself through these things, okay? But then there is one form of seeing God that is most prevalent and certainly most profound as we read in scripture. And that is through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. This is certainly the most insightful way that we see God displayed in the Bible. And let me show you this starting in Hebrews chapter one, verse one. This is what we read. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Watch this. And he, that's Jesus, is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. Jesus is the exact representation of the nature of God. That's pretty cool. Colossians chapter one, starting in verse 13. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Listen to that. Jesus is the image of the invisible. If you wanna see God, if you wanna see what he looks like, you gaze upon the person of Jesus Christ. And then Colossians chapter two, starting in verse eight, says, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him, in Christ, listen, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Wow. I mean, these are unbelievable revelations that we're seeing in Scripture. This is what we're learning. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the exact representation of his nature. He is the fullness of deity in bodily form. This is a huge thing that we're being shown. And so when we read in John 1.14 that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, we got to begin to understand how weighty that is. Like, like how significant that is. This is no small thing. I mean, we've been talking about already today how we serve this huge God. He's indescribable. We can't even imagine his, his very essence. And yet when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, think about this. As he walked upon the streets of Nazareth and, and he rode atop the Sea of Galilee, the fullness of God in bodily form was there. He was there. Think about it as we read through the Gospels. And we see the people that got to spend time with him and the crowds that gathered around him. They got to sit down with him and be taught by and be healed by the image of the invisible God, the Son of God in the flesh was with them. This is amazing. And it's no wonder why we view Jesus like we do. It's no wonder why we read these scriptures with utter amazement, why we love him so much. He's the image of the invisible God and he was with us. In fact, It's an amazing thing to me, and some in the room have been lucky enough to do this, that you could hop on a plane, and within 24, 48 hours, you could walk the very streets that he walked in Israel. You could sit atop the same hills that that he prayed on and that he taught on. You could ride atop the same waves that he rode on or in some cases walked on. You could actually do this. The image of the invisible God was with us. And so while we may never get to see his total essence and we never will be able to see the entirety of who he is, we do get the amazing fortune of seeing him in these beautiful ways. And man, we should be forever grateful for that. 
It should draw us into him. It should enlighten us on who he is so that we can dig into relationship with him like never before. This is the loving God that we serve. And this is the first trait that just begins to show us a little bit about what it means to be spirit, okay? So let's go ahead and let's keep the ball rolling here. Let's get into our second attribute today that we need to understand. So another way that we can get a glimpse of, of God's true essence is through the omnip- omnipresence, excuse me, that's next week, the omnipresence of God, okay? This is another way we get to see his essence come to light. Now, admittedly, this is going to be a bit of a web that we're going to have to untangle, okay? And so let's, again, allow scripture to speak, and we will follow suit. But omnipresence, just so you understand how this is broken out, omni means all, and presence means presence, okay? So what this means is that he is present everywhere, okay? He is all places at once. This is what it means to be omnipresent. So I want to break this down into a few different categories, because at least for my brain, it really helps me to to kind of piece this together as best I can. And so let me kind of lay this before you. And so the first thing we got to understand about God's omnipresence is that this means that, listen, he does not have um, size or spatial dimensions, okay? So it's not like God is a certain size or, or certain dimensions. We, we can't try to view him in that type of way because immediately we're gonna misrepresent who he is. And if you think about it, it makes sense. God created space, okay? He, he created dimensions. So the fact that he would then be contained or restricted to that is a bit foolish for us to, to think about, right? So God's essence, it goes beyond space, beyond dimensions, beyond universe. It goes beyond all of that. And so actually, even when we say that the God is everywhere, we can't even really comprehend what that means because everywhere to us is still within the confines of our dimensional world, right? That's how we think. And so this is one of those areas, listen, where we're going to have to guard ourselves against thinking about God in these limited ways, okay? And it might be more difficult than you think because um, even if you think about, you know, God, well, he extends infinitely far, or maybe he just surrounds the universe, or, or he's just infinitely large. The, all of these things are still within the confines of our idea of space and dimensions, and God does not, is not held within that, okay? He is not a particular size. He doesn't have dimensions, and so we need to make sure, again, we're not limiting our view of who he is, okay? So that's the first thing. Second thing, as it relates to God's omnipresence, this means that he is present at every point of space with his entire being. Okay, so there's a lot going on there. Let's begin to to tease this out a little bit so we understand. Let me put it this way. While God cannot be contained by space, he is still present at every point of space. Not only is he present, he's present with his entire being. So let let me say that again and just try to absorb that. While God cannot be contained by space, he is present at every point of space with his entire being. So, so we're definitely getting beyond the idea of, of comprehension here. I understand that. But let's continue to dig in and see what we can learn from this. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 23. This is obviously God speaking. And he says this, Am I a God who is near, declares the Lord, and not a God far off? Can a man hide himself in hiding places so that I do not see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth? Such beautiful scriptures that we're reading here. 
And, and, and God is asking us some rhetorical questions, right? But ultimately, it's showing us a great deal about his omnipresence. And so here's what we're learning. God is always near. He, he's never far off. He's always near. He's always close, so much so that we cannot hide ourselves from him no matter where we go. It doesn't matter where we go. We cannot hide. He is that close to us. But not only that, we read that he fills the heavens and the earth. He fills it. Now, that word fill in Hebrew means to be completely full, to be complete. Like, think about a water bottle that is completely full to the brim, overflowing in the same way God's presence fills the heavens and the earth. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means, listen, it's not like he's, you know, 2% with us here and then 10% elsewhere and 7% over. No, he is at every point of space with his entire being. Now, this is why scripture says things like, in him, all things hold together, right? In him, our scripture for the year, in him, we live, we move, we exist because he himself sustains it all. With his whole being, he holds it and keeps it all together. This is who God is, and this is the revelation of his essence. Again, this is something that that certainly goes beyond our comprehension, but as we begin to think about the fact that he's everywhere, we begin to, to become aware that he's everywhere, no matter where. We, think about the level of relationship we could have if we realized that, if we were attentive to that. Think about what is before you, okay? But there's one last aspect of his omnipresence that I think is really going to help us, especially when it comes to our relationship with him, okay? And so, um, yes, uh, God doesn't fit into our confines of time and space, and he is present at every point of space with his entire being, but we do also see this beautiful truth that God can show himself differently in different places. So let me uh, explain what I mean when I say that. I think this is probably the best way to put this. This means that God specially presents himself or specially makes himself known at different times and places. Okay, we see this very much in scripture. You may have even experienced this in your own life, hopefully, hopefully. but let's go ahead and show how scripture brings this to light so that you can begin to understand what I'm talking about. So as we read through the Old Testament, we see that the Israelites, in many ways, they lived their lives around something called the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, maybe this is something you've heard about, but this was really the focal point uh, of the tabernacle or, or the temple where it was said that God's presence dwelt among them. This is where God's presence dwelt. Now, this is where sacrifices were brought. This is where symbols were kept. This is where the high priest would enter. This is a huge thing we read about in the Old Testament. But listen, listen, while God was certainly still omnipresent in the days of the tabernacle and the temple, he was still everywhere all at once. He shows himself in a specific place for a specific time to bless and sustain his people. So we see that he's showing himself differently at this time and place while also still being omnipresent. Let's fast forward a couple hundred years. We read in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, we see kind of this storm-like experience that's happening. We see miracles taking place in Jerusalem. We see people giving their lives to Christ by the thousands. Listen, while God was still omnipresent at this point in time, right, all places at all times, he specially made himself known there to bless and support his people. And frankly, we see this all throughout scripture. Don't we see amazing encounter after amazing encounter with his people? Don't we see miracles and, and prophecies? We see it from cover to cover of the book. 
This is an amazing thing that God would make himself known in this way. But here is the best news of all of this. Listen to me. I, I need you to be aware of this. I need you to believe this. He's still the same way today. He still operates the same way today. He still shows himself in special ways today. And this is something we need to be much more aware of. This is something that we need to be given to far more than we are. How quickly do we move on from his presence? How, how quickly do we get distracted? We need to lean into his presence. This is why we talk about, for instance, how it's always a special time when we get to meet and worship together because scripture says that God inhabits the praises of his people. In other words, where praise is occurring, he inhabits, he occupies that space. He makes himself specially known in those ways. Why would we not be more given to that? Why would we not be more aware of that? You may not always see that, but I promise you somebody does. I promise you somebody's feeling it. Somebody's having an experience with God. And this is something that we need to understand about the nature of God. See, this is the most beautiful aspect of this entire concept. Listen to me. I think this shows as much about God as, as just about anything. And that is, he is everywhere. God is all places at once. There's nowhere that you can go where he is not. And yet, just like so many people we read about in Scripture, you can have your own special experience with him whenever he pleases. You can have your own special experience where he makes himself known in personal and intimate ways. You can have your experience of love and grace and power and might. All of this is available to us as his people. So sure, he is huge. He's gigantic. He's indescribable, but he's also close and he's also personal, and he's also intimate. We have to be aware of this if we're truly going to have a relationship with him. Just think about that. You can have your own time, your own experience with God whenever you want. Think about what a blessing that is. I want to read an excerpt from a book that I was reading a few weeks back. And um, I think this really brings this concept so beautifully to light. And uh, ultimately, I think it really leads us to where we need to end today. And, um, and listen, this is kind of written in old English, so I really need you to focus in. And honestly, if it helps you to close your eyes and almost envision this, I would encourage you to do that. This is that important. But I want you to, I want you to really lean into these words because I think it's going to bring us where we need to go. This is what... I read, it said, when you wish to do something wicked, you retire from the public. You, you go into your house where no enemy may see you. And even from the places of your house, which may be open and visible to the eyes of men, you then remove yourself to your room. But even in your room, you fear some witness from elsewhere. So you retire into your heart and there is where you meditate. But do you understand that God is more inward than even your heart? Wherever, therefore, you have fled, there he is. From yourself, where can you go? Will you not follow yourself wherever you go? But since there is one even more inward than yourself, there is no place where you may flee from God. There is no place at all where you may go. So here's the question you must ask yourself. Will you resolve to flee from him, or might you just choose to flee to him? This is the question that I believe is being laid in front of us today. I've been talking about the essence of God and, 
and how he's everywhere. We've been talking about the beauty of the magnitude of God. But listen, do you understand? Listen, do you understand that this God we've been talking about wants to have a relationship with you? Do you understand that that he wants to know you and be known more intimately? Some of us find that really hard to believe, right? There's no way that God wants to know me. Like, I'm I'm not worth that type of attention. I promise you, you're wrong. He loves you. He cares for you. He's paid the price. He wants a relationship with you. And so the question is, will you try to flee from him or might you just choose to flee to him? If we've learned anything today, we've learned there's nowhere we can go where he's not there. There's nowhere that we can hide from him. I think we should begin to ask ourselves questions like, how much am I going to lean into that? If he's with me all the time, if there's nowhere I can go where he's not, how much am I going to lean into his presence? How attentive will I be to him in every room that I walk in? How aware of his presence will I remain throughout the course of my life? Because I'm telling you, we need to do this much more than we do. Stop going through the motions of life. Slow down and lean into your heavenly father. He's with you. You want to have a conversation with him? He's with you. You need something from him? He's with you. You want to start a relationship with him? He's with you. Will you flee to him? Will you lean